What up, you bing bongs? You are listening to the Hardwood Podcast. Why? Because basketball excites you. I'm your host, Kirk Wilcox. With me, all the way from Chicago, Illinois, Ben Levine. What's up, buddy? Hey, Kirk. Living in the new America. Hell yeah. How you liking it so far? <laughs> uh, you know, so far it seems about the same. <laughs> right? But, you know, we'll see. Uh, first of all, I want to wish a very happy 20th anniversary to Space Jam! Yeah! You've seen Space Jam, right? What kind of a question is that, Craig? Uh, do you remember seeing Space Jam for the first time? I don't remember seeing Space Jam for the first time, no, but I'm, I'm like, I, I like delete nostalgic memories Why? all the time. Because I don't believe in it. You don't believe in it? I don't uh, believe in nostalgia. Yeah. No, I'll never <laughs> forget. For I'll never forget watching Space Jam for the first time. I was like 10 years old. And my dad did this thing where he would drop my sister and I off at the dollar theater because he was frugal. Like we never went and saw movies like right when they came out. We always had to wait a few months. Yeah. And my sister and I never wanted to see the same movie. So then he would just drop us off at the theater, buy us tickets for our movies. And I think he'd like go to the bar or something while we were at the movies. And I was just alone in a theater with like 20 people. And like this black guy sat a few do- chairs down from me and he had like snuck in food and was like eating it the entire time. And I just remember <laughs> him laughing so hard at the part where Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam shoot the monster's teeth off. And it, at the time, I didn't get the reference because I was 10. I hadn't seen Pulp Fiction yet, but he, like, would not stop laughing. And I thought that was the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. That's why I will never forget my first yeah, time. Yeah, it would have been, been particularly funny at that period of time. <laughs> All right. But today, I want to start off by talking about the Los Angeles Clippers, who Ooh. I think right now are the best team in the NBA, they are currently 10-1, and one, and they are just rolling over teams. They are just running teams over. Seven of their wins have come against teams with winning records, with a winning record. They Seven of their wins have come by double digits or more. They have a plus 15-point differential average against opponents. Impressive. One thing I found striking about this team was the defense. They are currently leading the NBA in opponents points per game they are leading the nba in a an opponent's field goal percentage they are number three in uh, opponents turnovers and they are number four in defensive rebounding and chris paul said something interesting in a post-game interview recently he was asked about the defense and doc rivers mentioned how they've been focusing more on the weak side defense which i guess has been uh, an issue with them the last couple of years but chris paul mm-hmm. said that they now think about They focus so hard on defense that they pride themselves on holding teams under a certain amount of points. They really pride themselves on that. And they're after every loose ball. It got mentioned that like the when they were up against the Pistons, they were up by 32 points, and Blake Griffin missed a defensive rotation and it really bothered him, even though they were up 30 points. And when you look at their recent history. They've just been a laughing stock with Donald Sterling and, and the DeAndre Jordan free agency and the three to one lead blown against the Houston Rockets, where they were up twenty points in a closeout game in the fourth quarter. Mm. And 
And, and obviously, Don't forget Blake Griffin. Oh, yeah. Last year, he punched the equipment manager, broke his <laughs> hand. They flamed out. I don't know what clicked with this team, and I'm sure we'll find out eventually. But this team is just so focused. They're in FU mode. They're one of the four. They're one of four teams in the NBA that has a legitimate three-man core. Uh, the other three being the last three champions, the Warriors, Spurs, and Cavaliers. And I think it's time to elevate this team from title contender status to favorite status. And I think they're going to win 60 games. Maybe they might not be the best team in the playoffs, but right now they look focused and they look great. Yeah, totally agree. And, and you're 100% right about the defense being the big surprise here. Although it really shouldn't be because uh, when you look at that team, it's chock full of really good defenders. Like DeAndre Jordan is the best rim protector in the NBA. Absolutely. Chris Paul is the best defensive point guard in the NBA. Absolutely. Uh, Mbamute, that's kind of what his calling card is at this point in his career, and he's really focusing on that. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because if you look at the you know, the four other players on the floor between DeAndre Blake, uh, J.J. Redick, and Chris Paul, they really don't need scoring from the three position at all no. uh, to, to be fine uh, you know, with that starting five. So having him as kind of the wing defender, the stop guy, I think makes a lot of sense for that team. And they haven't really had a guy at that position who was such a defensive specialist or at least was really thrust into that role um, in a concentrated sort of way. Uh, so I think it, it, is, it does seem to be working really well. And, oh, excuse me. And, um, Bing bong. <laughs> excuse, sorry about that technical difficulty. But um, so it does seem to be working really well. And uh, what I do think is also a big surprise that I think many people didn't anticipate was actually J.J. Reddick's defense. I've uh, seen him defending at times the best swing player uh, on other on opposing teams. They're willing to put him in those positions, and I think he's an underrated defender just because of his size and everything like that. But he's scrappy, um, and he definitely doesn't back down from people. And I think it's interesting to be able to throw kind of different looks at people and give them sort of a smaller guy. Because sometimes going up against a smaller guy can be a little off-putting, I think, for certain players. Definitely. And uh, can lead to steals. And I, I just think it's good to rotate your perimeter defense uh, generally and just kind of throw different looks at people. So they're willing to do that now. And I think they've got um, a capable perimeter of accomplishing good things defensively. And clearly that's panning out in their games. Like I said in our last episode, Blake Griffin, his presence is unbelievable, and he looks great, um, yes. especially with his mid-range jumper. You know, I mean, that's just a part of his game that he really only developed two years ago. And uh, considering he was out for most of the, the season last year, I'm sure that's the major thing he worked on with his game. And uh, once you add that in to his incredible ball handling, playmaking, and around-the-rim maneuvers, and he's no slouch on defense either. He's just so good at offense that he's just known for that um, more so than his defense. But uh, I think that's really proving to be deadly. And again, Chris Paul looks fantastic. The only thing you have to worry about with that kind of defensive intensity is injury, right? And that's oh, kind yeah. of been the story with the Clippers. And it's been the story with Chris Paul, really, uh, throughout his career. He's always had these you know, great, great starts to seasons where he looks incredible and then he gets sidelined for like 20 games or something like that. And it kind of throws the team's, team off a little bit. So I'd watch out for Chris Paul injuries. Um, as being kind of the main thing that could derail the Clippers. But right now, I think it is between them and the Cavs for best team in the NBA, pretty clearly. 
yeah, I watched the game with them against the Wolves pretty recently. And uh, while the Wolves, the Wolves do look really good, I must say they they definitely made uh, you know short work of them. But there are um, there are two Wolves that look good, and they are Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, and the rest of that team is trash. Hey, you know what? I'm going to give credit to Ricky Rubio because I've trashed Ricky Rubio many times on this He's podcast. He's been hurt. But- I know. Yeah, but you know he when he was playing with them, he definitely made their team significantly better. And uh, you know, defense is kind of I think what he is really really good at. Obviously, besides his incredible playmaking, uh, but you know they need some kind of good point guard, and I suppose he's a serviceable one. I still maintain that he's on the lower end of starting point guards in the NBA. But uh, you know, if he can string together a full season, uh, they'll be in decent shape. I think. But yeah, Clippers looking great. But yeah, back to the Clippers. Short of just not being the better team in the playoffs, because if they lose to San Antonio, like that's just, you can't really complain much about that. But they really don't have any excuses. They have the three man core. They have a sharpshooter in JJ Reddick. They have a spark off the bench in Jamal Crawford. I think most mm-hmm. Bates has been really good. Now they have a big that can stretch the floor. They have oh, a- most Bates is great. And, and don't forget about Brandon Bass. He's a oh, very yeah. good shooter. As well, and a, and a veteran. So you know, good good big men coming off the bench. They got um, veterans. They have co- they have Doc Rivers, who's a, who's a championship winning coach. This team really doesn't have any excuses besides injuries or just not being the better team. And yeah. it, I think it is kind of embarrassing considering they've been in title contender mode these last four years and they still haven't stepped foot in the Western Conference Finals. I, I really want to see this team do well this year. And I think especially they could be the kryptonite to the Golden State Warriors if they I, I'd like to see those two teams uh face off in the playoffs. Definitely, definitely. And I mean I would love to see for the Clippers to do well. I've, lo- I've long been a fan of this team. I uh, love their core. I think that they're a really special group and, and have just underperformed for whatever reason, uh, just things haven't broke their way. It seems like in the playoffs for yeah. so many years, but, uh, yeah, you know, with the warriors, it's one of those things where what's going to be their main, uh, weakness. It's the front court, obviously. And, of, you know, Draymond has kind of been relied on as being this like Swiss army knife kind of catch all defender. Uh, but look, you put him up against guys like Blake Griffin and Deandre Jordan, and it, it's tough for him to hang with people that strong and imposing. Oh yeah. Uh, And yeah. So you're really relying a lot on Zaza Pachulia to hold that down. And like, while I'm a big fan of Zaza Pachulia, he's definitely no Andrew Bogut. And, uh, and they just, they've lost a lot of toughness on the inside. So, and Spurs, same issue, you know, with LaMarcus and Powell, you're dealing with uh, some very tough front court issues. So we'll see. I think they've got a great shot at uh, going to the Western conference finals and possibly the finals if they keep it up defensively. I promised a few weeks ago that we would not talk about the Warriors because they're going to get no shortage of press. Oh, come on. But I, I was looking into them today, looking into their defensive statistics. They are 25th in opponents' <laughs> points per game. They give up 108 points per game. They're 16th in opponents' field goal percentage. I believe they're 11th in causing turnovers. I forgot where they rank rebounding-wise, but... When they won the title, they were the top defensive team in the NBA. Last year, they were a top five defensive team. I don't think we've had a champion besides the Lakers, which doesn't count because they always turned it on in the playoffs in in, in 01 and 02. But we've never had a championship team since the 80s that wasn't a top 10 or even top five defensive team. And if this doesn't get better, I don't think they're going to win the championship. 100% 100% agree with you. I think uh, defense is ultimately just one of those things that has to be completely uh, clicking 
for teams in order for them to be be able to win a championship. And right now, the Warriors don't have it on defense. It's they can't fact. get the stops. Now they do have uh, world class perimeter defenders in Draymond Clay and Durant, but they still don't have rim protection. And when Durant has to focus so much on scoring, I don't think he can focus on uh, shutting other uh, players, opposing players down. Draymond Green said he's one of the best players in the. Uh, in the NBA the other day. He's like, it, it doesn't matter if I can score. It's not all about scoring. It just sounded like Donald Trump to me. <laughs> but, um, well, Hey, who won? <laughs> well, now there's all who proved it. <laughs> but anyway, but no, but here's my point about the Warriors is that, so the Warriors played against the Suns uh, on Sunday and they won the game, but the score was 133 to 120. So the Phoenix Suns put up 120 points on the Golden State Warriors. And look, I like a lot of the players on the Phoenix Suns, but they shouldn't be scoring 120 points on you at, at all. Also, they facet. don't have anybody inside that can beat you up. That's no. I can understand the Spurs because they have Gasol and uh, Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge, but uh, the Suns, who, like Tyson Chandler and Alex Len, are they going to beat you up inside? No. <laughs> Although maybe they did, though. I haven't watched the game. I don't know what the story was. But uh, you, you never know. I mean, like, again, their front court issues are big. And uh, they've kind of sacrificed a lot of that, even uh, from their bench as well. Losing, I think, Izzili was a big loss for them. Definitely. In this category, you know. Um, Izzili really came off the bench and provided them great rim protection and uh, some big plays and big moments. And uh, that's a very tough thing to replace, you know. And they've kind of just gotten rid of both of those guys in Bogus and Aze- Bogut and Azili. I still think they're going to be good. They are good, um, and I think they're going to go into the playoffs. Definitely going to make it to the second round. But definitely um, going to make it to the second round. That's like that's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's the truth. But but look, with the Spurs and the Clippers, how can you say that? They've got a better chance of going to the Western Finals than those two teams. You can't really. At this uh, point. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that if if I'm a Warriors fan and after getting Durant and all this hype and now it's like, oh, we might get out of the first round. That's a, a really depressing turnaround. But now it, it is. But at the same time, you know, it's a new team. It's a brand new team, and it takes a while for things to come together. You know, and I. Uh, you're just competing with elite level competition and if any holes in your team or your chemistry or anything of that nature are going to get exposed uh, throughout in an NBA season and especially in the NBA playoffs. So we're, and look, they had the best team ever last year by all accounts, really. Um, you, and they lost in the finals as well. So even their like their top notch record making team wasn't good enough to get over the hump. Uh, at that point. So, yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant, incredible player, adds a ton to the team. But, you know, we, we've seen this before where these super teams don't work out. Uh, so who knows? A little up in the air at this point. But the way they're defending is simply not good enough. There's no way. They're not trading Clay Thompson, are they? No, no, no. Those rumors were debunked. Well, I think pretty handily. Let me throw these at you. Someone wrote a piece for CBS Detroit. They wrote three trade scenarios for the Pistons and the Warriors getting for the Pistons getting Clay Thompson. You want to hear these? Sure. All right. Trade number three. I'm going to go in reverse order from worst trade deal to the best. Trade number three. Golden State receives Tobias Harris and two unprotected first round picks for Clay Thompson. I, I wish- don't think that the Warriors would do that. 
Trade number two. Golden. <laughs> I don't know how that makes Golden State better, by the way. They add a, 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 another combo forward and two picks that won't be a lot. Because if the Pistons get Clay Thompson, they're not going to be a lottery team anytime soon. And who's going to be the shooting guy? Right. Uh, speaking of which, trade number two. Golden State receives Marcus Morris, Aaron Baines, Reggie Bullock, and two unprotected first-round picks for Clay Thompson. What do you think of that? That's one? a much that's a much better trade, obviously. Because so, I think well, Baines is to me the, the biggest part of the trade. Yeah, you, you get a guy like Aaron Baines in there, he he would be able to to really I think bolster the team uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, he's a really solid center. We were both we were talking about how much we like his game. I think he could be a starting center on a team. So, quite quite on honestly, a, on a championship contender, definitely. So that that one makes more sense to me. Well, now I bring you to number one, the best trade scenario. Golden State receives Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Stanley Johnson, Aaron Baines, and a protected first-round pick for Clay Thompson. I mean, that's a, a very good trade as well. I mean, what would you what would you want to do that? You Absolutely worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Oh yeah. If if we got Clay Thompson, who I think is arguably the best shooting guard in the NBA, uh, pretty, and, pretty pretty definitively. And uh, Stanley Johnson, we don't know. I, I like Stanley Johnson. I think he'd be a very good player, but the future is unknown. Contavious Caldwell-Pope uh, might be gone after this year, and I think he's peaked on offense. Aaron Baines is probably going to be gone after this year because he can opt out, and he's totally going to opt out because he only makes $7 million a year, and he can make easily $12 million a year uh, with this new uh, salary cap. Uh, but, yeah, I think if Golden State were to able to make Aaron Baines your full-time center and then, yeah, we'll just have Stanley Johnson be our new shooting guard, That's I think that's not a tempting trade because you don't want to give up Klay Thompson that easily. But uh, I, I think that might make the Warriors better. A case could be made. Definitely. Definitely. And, I mean, Clay, Clay seems to be the person who's taken the most of the brunt of the new lineup, basically. Absolutely. So, Yeah. It, it, it's entirely possible, but uh, it would be a shame to break up the Splash Brothers, obviously, because oh I mean, no, we're eight and two. We gotta trade yeah. Clay Thompson. That, I see. I just don't. I don't see it happening. Really, I think they gotta ride this one out. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't. I don't know what Clay Thompson's contract status is if they have him for another few years. But I think this is definitely a team you want to give at least two years of time and be able to maybe tinker around with. In the offseason, they might make some moves though. They really need to figure out that the big man uh, position. So you know, that's definitely on the table. I would say. Well, from the Pistons' perspective, that uh, last trade, uh, I, I think the the reason why the Pistons wouldn't do that trade is because of the secret. I think Andre Drummond is really good friends with Stanley Johnson and KCP, and I think uh, he would be a little annoyed if Sam Van Gundy just traded those two guys away. But uh, yeah. That's just speculation. Let's move on to your boyfriend, Luke Walton. You wanted to talk sure. about Luke Walton. You think he's doing a great job coaching. What, what are your thoughts on Luke Walton and, and the Lakers so far, who are, what, 6-5 and five right now? Yeah, the, the Lakers look good. They simply look good. And uh, it has nothing – I mean, it's not like they've dramatically improved their team, although I think the Mozgov signing was underrated. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah. Their, their rim protection looks really solid with Mozgov, and I think Julius Randle has stepped up. I don't think For he's sure. going to be a superstar by any means, but he can be kind of like a Carlos Boozer-type player that plays tough and gets you 15, 20, and 10 a game. Definitely. He's uh, he's rock solid as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah, Mozgov has added a lot to the team. Luol Dang bringing a great veteran presence to the team. Absolutely. I think it's smart that he's starting Luol Dang instead of Brandon Ingram because I think – 
uh, it's good to bring rookies up appropriately and not let them kind of get too much in their own head or put too much pressure on them. You, especially when you have a guy like Luol who, look, he's definitely not better than Brandon Ingram as far as talent goes, but he's just so experienced and such a consummate professional that he deserves a starting role, no doubt. And uh, clearly that's kind of giving, between him and Mozgov, that's sort of, I think, uh, helping temper some of the younger players and keeping them in check. I wasn't, I think Jordan Clarkson should start probably over Nick Young, but at the same time, I like him coming off the bench. And Nick Young is also the most veteran player on the Lakers in terms of how long he's been on the Lakers. I see. So he he deserves a start, I think, as well. Uh, and playing into kind of that pecking order, I think, is an underrated thing. And I think Luke, Luke Walton's doing it in a really smart way. And uh, on top of that, he's getting them to play defense and yes. getting them to play hard and with energy. And it's just a fact that, look, the talent – Talent disparity is always what's talking, you know, parity in the NBA. We always talk about this. But at the same time, most pro- teams that perform terribly, like truly terribly in the NBA, um, are performing that way because they've kind of given up and they're not playing together. They don't have energy. They don't believe they can win. Again, it comes back to the secret, like we talked about. If you've got a group that doesn't believe that they can win, doesn't believe in competition, uh, then they're not going to be successful. And it even shows a, a team like the Lakers, which was so bad last year. You throw a couple veterans in there, and you get the team to buy in to playing hard and playing defense, and you win games, no doubt. Well, so. I, and I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, and I'm not trying to doubt Luke Walton. I, I think he can be a good coach. He was great last year in Golden State, but I think with this Lakers team, when you consider their situation last year, it was the Kobe going away tour, and I think Byron Scott was just so toxic oh, to yeah. that team, especially with Dean and and the D'Angelo Russell uh, scandal. And I think any situation is just better for the Lakers this year, especially I think Luol Deng and Mozgov were very underrated signings. And I think they're just playing freer, but they had they, they are playing smarter this year too. They're playing a lot more patiently. They're not rushing shots or playing panic ball. They're, they're really taking their time with the shot clock. And I like what I see from them. And I'm not saying they'll make the playoffs, but the wet, those last two spots in the West, I think, are wide open. I predicted Dallas and Minnesota mm-hmm. would make it. Uh, I'm not so sure about those teams anymore, but I think there are probably five teams that are going to compete for those last two spots, and I don't think you can count the Lakers out from that scenario. I agree, and I, just to go back on those two points you brought up, Byron Scott definitely was a terrible coach for that team. Don't know if he's ever really been a great coach in general. And, uh, but with regards to the Kobe thing, see, I take, I give that less sway in your argument in the sense that I think, and I think I've talked about this with you before, but I actually think what the Lakers did by keeping Kobe and kind of turning it into his farewell tour is they actually kind of figured out a way to make last season, not a total throwaway Yeah. because they're still extremely young players trying to learn how to play. They were going to be bad. There's no doubt about that. But by having it kind of be about Kobe, they were able to keep their attendance up and keep the Lakers like a prime time team. Oh, absolutely. And that's really smart. Very difficult to do in any kind of rebuilding phase. And those kind of two years with Kobe where the Lakers were just terrible, basically, um, ultimately I think probably ended up not really hurting the franchise in terms of loyalty and gave those younger players time to learn the game at the NBA level. And now that we're seeing that they've gotten rid of the terrible coach that was Byron Scott – that the team is actually clicking. And, you know, guys like D'Angelo Russell uh, have some experience. Guys like Jordan Clarkson have some experience now. They're not green, super green anymore. 
Um, so that's why I think you're seeing some success. And the one thing I wanted to bring up too, because you said that only two players are playing well in the Timberwolves, I actually do think Zach Levine is playing re- very well. Um, I'm pretty sure he's a top three point shooter right now. He's a top three. Oh three wow! Point shooting. Andrew so, Wiggins uh, is putting up 26 points per game. I mean, those guys look well. And, I, I want them to do well, and I thought Thibodeau would coach those guys up, but I looked at their roster today, and I'm like, oh, that's why they're like two and seven. Yeah, well, I'm also pretty sure that Wiggins, um, it's either this year or last year, or maybe both, but he's the number one player at the small forward position and scoring out of the post, which is impressive, very impressive. So I think when you got a guy like him who you can actually throw it to in the post and get some points off of, it's uh, extremely valuable. Uh, and he's proving he can do it. So, yeah, between Levine and Towns and Wiggins, uh, you know, make no mistake, they've got, I think, nowhere to go but up. So we'll, we'll see about the Wolves. I want to mention the Sacramento Kings because you laughed at me when I predicted they'd make the playoffs, which they, they might not. But when you look at their team this year, Cousins and Gay are both having pretty good years. Oflalo is having a solid season, but Ty Lawson has just been atrocious. And I know they're putting Willie Cauley-Stein. I've heard trade rumors about him. But I'm thinking if this team could get a reliable starting point guard, they could be a, a scrappy team and might be able to claw their way into the playoffs. Well, true. But at the same time, that what do you consider Rajon Rondo? Do you consider him an unreliable starting point guard? Because okay. that's what, right? Well, they didn't I mean, have a follow last year either. True. And a follow is a really good player. But has a follow ever put a team kind of over the edge? He's always been a player, at least the last few years, who's been traded around to a bunch of different teams, kind of people hoping he's going to be like this big spark off the bench or he's going to be like a solid starting player. And he doesn't really seem to put to make that much of a difference in terms of uh, teams winning, I think. So I'm not, I, I like a follow as a player. I just don't think he's that big of a solution to problems, really. He's just like a nice piece to have, but he doesn't really change the dynamics of any team. And... Uh, yeah, I, I, look, I think Rajon Rondo is a really good starting point guard. He was lead, led the league in assists last year. You can't ask for much more out of your starting point guard. You're right. Uh, so, you, you know, I think I just think the issues there are, are bigger than uh, than simple personnel. I think they need to trade DeMarcus Cousins and start over. And uh, there's just not much hope there in terms of reigniting that team. They've tried a million different combinations with all a lot of serviceable players, and nothing seemed to work. I think I think Demarcus Cousins needs a change of scenery, quite frankly, um, and I think they need to move on with some more level-headed and solid players and just kind of rebuild their team. That's the only solution I see for the Kings, but I don't think they're going to touch the playoffs. The point guards, though, Jeff Teague has, has fallen off. Brandon Knight mm. has really fallen off. Derrick Rose is playing okay. I, I think the Knicks fans were hoping he would come back and play, like be at all-star level, but I don't think he's ever going to get there again, and we're just seeing the drop-off of a lot of these promising point guards. And that, that Brandon Knight was like was like a starting point guard on the on a playoff team a couple years ago with the Bucks, and now he's just playing terrible this year. Well, I'm going to go out and make a big a big statement here. I think that the point guard era in the NBA is officially over. Yes. Uh, even though still you still have Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook who are dominating games, but not quite as much as they used to. And I think what we're entering is a new era of centers. Yes. Uh, if you look at the young talent in the NBA um, and people that are making differences on teams, it's all centers, really. Um, from Anthony Davis to Towns to DeMarcus Cousins. Rudy uh, Gobert, Hassan Whiteside, Drummond. Porzingis. Yeah, Porzingis. You know, these are 
great, great players that I think are going to set the tone for the new NBA. Dwight Howard's playing you look, pretty well, too. Yeah, so it's it's looking like it's going to be a big man's game again. And when you look at teams like the Bulls, who are kind of you know throwing the conventional wisdom that's been around the last few years about three-point shooting out the window, and I'm not saying they've been super successful, but they're finding success, I think it's showing that maybe three-point shooting isn't everything it's been cracked up to be. And uh, that you, with a big man, you know, you can dominate games, especially these kind of versatile big men who are able to shoot, dribble, do all this stuff. Um, that's always going to be better, I think, than a point guard. So well, I, that's the trend I see. I think one of the more disappointing teams so far is the Indiana Pacers. Uh, like yeah. I said, Jeff Teague has fallen off. They're, they're number nine. I think there are nine good teams in the East, and they're playing for eight playoff spots. The Pacers are the ninth seed. And I thought about this over the offseason, and I didn't think it would be a problem. But I think if the Pacers are struggling to even make it into the playoffs, if you're Larry Bird and you're looking over to Boston at your boy Danny Ainge and he has those – you know, those draft picks, maybe you say, you know what? Uh, it's time for us to rebuild. We don't have enough time to rebuild around Paul George. He's 26. Why don't you give us uh, that Brooklyn pick this year? Give us another two first round picks and give us Isaiah Thomas. And we're going to send you Jeff Teague and Paul George. And you're going to have the 2015 Atlanta Hawks with Paul George. I mean, that would be quite a team. I would say <laughs> definitely quite a team. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you had Teague and Thomas and Paul George and all those guys, I mean, that would be a really great, great team. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see what goes on there, but I was super bullish on the Pacers and Paul George. And uh, it's, it's kind of crazy to see that they're not really playing that well. No, I I thought Jeff Teague would be huge. And maybe he'll, maybe he's just in a rut, but he's just not having a good season. And I thought he would be like a legitimate second option, uh, to Paul George, and I thought they'd be a lot better. I mean, they were like a seven seed last year, and yeah. I thought, oh, they added Jeff Teague. Yeah, they'll, they'll be a top four team for sure, and they're not even in the playoff picture right now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, can I give a quick shout-out to Jimmy Butler real quick? Nope. Come Anyways, on. thanks for listening. <laughs> All right, say what you're going to say about Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I just want to point out that my man's Jimmy Butler in a win over the Washington Wizards, which, yeah, not the greatest team in the NBA, but – my man's had 37 points, nine assists, eight rebounds wow. uh, on the night, three steals. Now, that's a nice stat line. So I think uh, Jimmy Butler appears to really be taking up the star role that he's been thrust into. Uh, I think he's proving what a great player he is. He's gotten many buzzer beaters, uh, you know, been kind of the go-to player for them. Uh, so I'm just happy to see him putting up numbers like that. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Good good work, Jimmy Butler. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> that's all for today's episode of the Hardwood Podcast. Look us up on iTunes and the podcast app. For Ben Levine, I'm Kirk Wilcox. Happy Space Jam.